Again, thank you so much for the privilege of letting us be with you all today. Uh, it's hard to see the city overtaking the country. Uh, I went for a walk this afternoon and just smelling the woods with the leaves falling. Uh, good memories, beautiful time of the year. Uh, and just the terrain is very similar to where we moved in central South Carolina when we moved out from Idaho. So someone's brought back some good memories that way. It's just seeing the city take everything over. That's the part that is hard, that hurts a bit. If you would this evening, please turn to Psalm 131. It's a very short psalm. It's only three verses. As we look at the psalm tonight, the focus I want us to look at is the foundation of a heart for God. I love to build, but I'm not a builder by any means. Our first house that we built, we had an agreement that we did a lot of the work inside, but the builder did absolutely nothing outside the footprint. We did the rest. And we built the house we thought we'd live there the rest of our lives, and that was five or six houses ago. God has different plans for us. But wanted a deck that was big enough that you could enjoy the deck. So it was like 16 by 20 feet. And I wanted a deck that we could enjoy being on, so I built brick pillars, and I used two-by-sixes for the decking instead of decking boards to make it to where we could get out there and we could, somebody said we could make a garage out of it if we wanted to. Uh, I had laid brick once or twice helping somebody when I was in college. So I took this endeavor that I built the brick pillars and then there was a, it was a high deck and said, well, if we screen this off, we'll use storage under there. So I built a brick wall there too. It looked sloppy. Then you know where I looked at? I thought, hey, Williamsburg, Virginia is one of our favorite places to go. What is it we like about Williamsburg? One thing's it's rustic looking. So I said, hey, I didn't do such a bad job after all. It looked pretty good. So talking about a foundation, I probably overdo on footers and everything else in the process of doing because I don't know what I'm doing. I'd rather have too much. But a foundation of a heart for God. We are a people that we like to think that things are just going to happen. It's going to happen to you. I know there was a religious uh, leader in our nation not so many years ago. Uh, something good is going to happen to you today. Um, unfortunately, he did not know what good was at all. And these three verses give us a good outline and presentation. It's a song of degrees by David. David is the man that was uh, described in God's word as a man after God's own heart. So... Somebody whose life testimony bears evidence of being able to give us some explanation of that building, that foundation. And the psalm that comes before it, another short one. Now, if you look at these, all of them say a song of degrees. You may say, Pastor, what does that mean? I don't know. We can read what different men have said, and some say, well, it was songs that they sang as they walked up the steps to the temple, and some will say another thing. But you know what? God's chosen that we didn't need to know. It's not something that's... Uh, that's, it's not so significant that if we know or don't know. We can speculate all we want, but we don't know. So my answer is I don't know. I'm not going to give these speculations. It's God's word inspired by the Spirit of God and preserved for all generations for our instruction. And the one before it is a psalm of uh, forgiveness, which really is the beginning of the foundation for heart for God, is knowing the forgiveness of God. 
And the last verse of that psalm said, And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. As I was reading Psalm 130 and looking down to Psalm 131, read that verse, And he shall redeem Israel. The church does, did not and does not replace Israel. Erase that from your thoughts. I'm not going there at all. However, there are principles because God's character is immutable. And there are principles from God's word that we learn with his relationship to Israel. And those principles are true for us today. And he shall redeem whosoever calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and salvation by faith. And he shall redeem each one of us that does so from all of our iniquities. And as I was reading on that, just thinking on the fact of redemption is a precious gift from God. Have you ever heard somebody say, don't force your religion on me? We hear that a lot, don't we? And a lot of people have animosity toward true Bible-believing Christians because they say, you're forcing your religion upon me. Yet I've never known a Bible-believing Christian to force their religion upon anybody. We can't. It's a gift. The gift is presented. God doesn't force it upon anybody. And we can't force it upon anybody. It's a gift. But as we look at this, and the reason I wanted to go back to Psalm 130, just in definition of forgiveness, nobody can have a foundation of a heart for God without first being born again and becoming a new creation. As we look at this tonight, it's totally from the perspective of having been born again, being a new creation, to be able to uh, establish a foundation of a heart for God. Another aspect of foundations, uh, a foundation is actually built on a footer. You know, my colloquial mind thinks foundation is, that's, that's it. No, there's a footer that the foundation has to set upon or the foundation starts to crack or move around. But you don't look like you have clay here. I know Brother Howard said you have a lot of granite down under and it looks like sand on top. But you get to areas that have a lot of clay, of deep clay, there's a challenge of having a solid foundation, even with good footers. Clay does strange things. Have you ever been in a place that has clay and dry weather, really dry weather? What does the clay do? It cracks, doesn't it? And I've heard, I like to listen to Saturday morning home repair programs. And I've heard on those programs, sometimes they say during really dry weather, it's good for you to water around your house. That it can get so dry that the clay cracking can start causing some impact on your foundation. Uh, another thing is if you have too much water, then it impacts the foundation. Or you can have freezing weather that can have an impact on your foundation. So the foundation needs to be installed properly and it needs to be maintained uh, in order to protect the structure of the house. If you would, and you're able, please stand and follow along with me as I read Psalm 131. A song of degrees of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Let's pray, please. Father, again, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to be here together this evening. Thank you for the privilege that we've had to be able to sing 
songs and hymns of thanksgiving and praise unto thee, to be able to sing songs of the truth of thy great love and thy mercy, songs of praise for the creator of all things. Now, Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have. As far as I know, everybody here at least makes profession of salvation. And as far as I know, uh, everybody here does know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And thank you for the privilege that we have now to be able to come for instruction from thy word. I pray your word is truth. Father, we know that you're faithful. And I pray now, Father, that you'd help me to be able to clearly communicate truth from thy word in such a manner that it would honor thee, in such a manner that it would not create confusion as thy spirit uses it to search the most inward parts of each heart, to help each one of us in those areas in our lives that we need to be reproved and rebuked and exhorted to live in these days lives that are victorious and honoring to thee. In Jesus' name we thank thee and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. David wrote in Psalm 11, verse 3, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the word foundations there is literally if the basis, and it's talking about the political or the moral support. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we live in a day that we feel like the foundations are being destroyed around us as we see much of our nation, much of Western culture, crumbling, literally crumbling and disintegrating. And it's not something that's just happened in the last few years. It's where the weather of rebellion against God has undermined and caused it. it. Where it was built upon the truth of God's word, it's going to stand firm. But where it's not maintained, it's going to begin to crumble, not because God's word's not faithful, but because we're allowing it to erode away. And as we look at these three really very short verses, we have given to us an outline of establishing the foundation of a heart for God. First, we see the aspect of humility in verses 1 through the first part of verse 2. Then we see the matter of trust and maturing in the latter part of verse 2. And finally, we see the matter of strength and hope uh, in verse 3. I want us to look at these for developing and maintaining them in our own lives. First, the matter of humility. David wrote, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Again, he comes back to the matter of the one that he's addressing. He's not just thinking good thoughts. He's not just in a self-help type of situation. Now, what do I need to do to become a better person? What do I need to do to be able to live successfully? He's addressing Jehovah, the very God of creation, his God and his Lord. And that's how we need to keep all of our thoughts. It really is that matter of focusing as unto God. But the first aspect they gave here regarding this matter of humility, and he's not doing so as a man of pride. You know, we've heard the person say, you know, I used to be proud, but now I'm humble. Well, the person has an issue already. They've identified it. They're blind. They didn't see it. That's not the manner that David is doing this. This is really a song of praise and thanksgiving to God. And it's one to be given as instruction. And for this particular period, God has not chosen to tell us exactly what period in David's life this is related to. There are a number of periods in his life that it could be. 
But I see, and we're going to be looking at some examples this evening, that it very clearly it could be related back to his younger days, his younger life, which really was where the foundation was laid. And then he built upon that after that. But the first thing he said, my heart is not haughty. First of all, the matter of the heart. Everybody in here that has the privilege or blessing of having uh, a wife or a husband that you love dearly, you know what it is to give your heart to somebody that you love. And when we speak of the heart, another term that's often used in Scripture is the bowels. It's really the center of affection in the body, uh, in the person of thoughts and of affections. It's the things that are more uh, royal, that are more honorable in our lives. And it's that very center point. Again, as I mentioned this morning, it's not the belly, not where the uh, creature appetites are, uh, the vain things are, but it's where the more pure things are. And he said, my heart, the very center of my affections is not haughty. And that matter of haughtiness is that it's not proud. It's not exalted. It's not lifted up. And as the statement is being made, it's giving us instruction on the matter of what is humility. First of all, it's a matter of not having a haughty heart or a haughty spirit, not one that's exalted, not one that's lifted up. Paul wrote in Colossians 3 and verse 2, he said, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, and that's what David is saying here. My heart is not haughty. It's not lifted up. It's not uh, exalted. It's not proud. And in our own his affections. Where are we setting our affections? He, Paul said we're to set them on things above, not on things on the earth. Hebrews tells us that we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the prize that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And we need to understand that we need to be looking up, that our affections need to be set on things above. So, if our heart is not proud, if it's not haughty, how do we guard it? It's by looking at the things of God and looking above. But not only did he say his heart is not haughty, he said, nor mine eyes lofty. The term that's translated uh, lofty eyes here is used in other passages in Proverbs that we're going to look at in a minute. But the matter of the eyes, it's, what is your focus on? What is it you're looking at? Um, my vision's not as good as it used to be anyway. But if I'm driving to say, look where you're going. What happens sometimes if when we're driving and we're looking at something, what does the car start doing? It starts going where we're looking, doesn't it? And that's a picture really of what's in it. He said, my eyes are not lofty. That what is it we're looking at? Where's our focus? He's saying that my my focus, what I'm looking at, is not at things that are frivolous, that are fluffy, that are going to turn me away from the things of God. It's something that we really have to make a continuous effort in our thoughts, in our lives to do. The term a proud look, or mine eyes are not lofty, is translated in a couple of the Proverbs as a proud look. In Proverbs 6, verse 16, Solomon wrote, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. The very first one, a proud look. That's the same term there as lofty eyes lofty. So 
When David said, mine eyes are not lofty, he said, I don't have a proud look. In Proverbs 21, verse 4, Solomon wrote, And high look and a proud heart and plowing of the wicked is sin. The importance here, what is the focus of my life and of my thoughts? To come to that matter of the humility that's essential, that's critical, if we're going to establish a sound foundation of a heart for God, we have to deal with our thoughts and with the affections. What is it things that we look at that are so important to us? David wrote in Psalm 101, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And right here is one of the places that we fall so short. We were sharing at lunch today some neighbors of ours that go to the Summit Church and are quite active in the Summit Church homeschool. And we first met them because their kids played outside all the time, which is not normal in today's uh, uh, families today. But their kids are outside playing. The boys are playing tackle football, of all things to be doing. And sometimes their little girl is out there playing tackle football with her brothers, too. Uh, and it, it impressed us. So last Christmas, we did a silent Christmas carol, and we went over to their house with the silent Christmas carol and found out that they homeschool also. But uh, since all the COVID stuff has been going on, and we were out for a walk one day, the mom stopped and we were talking with her, and she was telling us that she was going to have her 10-year-old son start reading Harry Potter novels in order to learn what's not good. Well, David said, I was sitting a wicked thing before mine eyes. We don't have to study what's not good to know what's not good, right? And when we start setting it in front of us, then we put ourselves in the risk of turning my eyes of from no longer not being lofty to turning to those things that are not pleasing to God and doing that steering, that veering off and going away. And then in verse, he said, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Now this, especially for a young man, but also for older men, and when I say that, it's generic. It includes ladies too. Uh, but the matter of humility, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. That matter of exercising myself in great matters, it literally means to walk or to put myself in the place uh, of being and it's something that means it's an intentional action to put myself in the place of great matters or great events that are taking place. And as we think back upon what we know of the testimony of David, the first time that we have record of him was when Samuel had gone to the house of Jesse looking for the one that was going to become the next king of Israel. And Seven of Jesse's sons had been called before him, and all of them looked like great options, but none of those were the one. And when Samuel asked, Jesse said, There remainest yet my youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Now, if Samuel was coming to the house, do you think anybody made a big event out of that, that it would have been known? Absolutely. Yet here was David, the shepherd boy, and so saying, wait a minute, I'm not going to get left out on this. I'm going to get myself in there too. He was out tending the sheep. Well, 
Samuel was at his dad's house meeting with the rest of the family. And he had to be called to come to be brought back in. So even there we see the testimonies. He said, neither do I exercise myself in great matters. But what is our natural tendency? We're looking for the opportunity to make sure I'm in the right place at the right time, right? So everybody can see me to know that, hey, and to make myself available to give my two cents worth in what's going on and what needs to be done. But David, in talking about this matter of humility, it wasn't only guarding the affections of his heart, it wasn't only guarding the looking of where he was, where he was going, but it was also being faithful instead of putting himself, seeking the political climbing the ladder, that he was faithful where he needed to be. He didn't exercise himself in great matters. And he said, or in things too high for me. And you all may not have the challenge. I still have the challenge of keeping my mouth shut when I need to keep it shut at times instead of offering my two cents when it may not be appropriate or needed at all. But David was able to say that he did not put himself in places or things too high for himself. And again, let's think back on the testimony of David's life. Samuel had anointed him. He was faithful keeping his dad's sheep. And then his three oldest brothers had gone to war. Now, we loved playing soldiers. When we moved from Idaho to South Carolina in 61, we rented an old house built before the Civil War, had two big magnolia trees in the front yard, and be very much like what this highway out here probably was like before Rollsville exploded. Uh, some traffic, but it had a line painted down the middle of it. And we had a tree house. Magnolia trees don't grow in Idaho, so we'd never seen it. But you know what? They had great hand grenades in there. Those cones, all you had to do was snap the end off and throw it, and you had a hand grenade ready to go. Uh, but when the sheriff's department came to the house, we found out the cars didn't like hand grenades being thrown at t- German tanks that were going by. Uh, that it just really uh, wasn't the best thing uh, to be doing. So here you think of young, guys love that kind of thing. We have three grandsons, and they're hoping that the fourth baby is going to be the fourth Marine for the family, so they'll have a larger Marine force in their house. Young guys love that kind of thing. So here is David as a shepherd boy out keeping his dad's sheep, and his three oldest brothers are going to battle for the nation of Israel. Do you think that was easy? A natural young boy would be, no, I want to go with them. I'm going to be out there in the middle with them too. That he was faithful being where he needed to be, doing what he was to do until his dad called him. And then, probably even more humbling than tending the sheep, now be a servant and take food to your brothers that are fighting in the war and get a report of how things are going to bring it back to me. You may not understand how humbling that would be, but for a young guy, that is humbling all the way. But notice, he didn't put himself in things too high for himself. He went to take care of what his dad asked him to do. And with that, if you would, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. <clears throat> 1 Samuel 17, look down to verse 28. After he had arrived on the scene and he had uh, seen what was taking place, And he began asking some questions, not nosy questions, but learning what was going on. In verse 20, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard 
when when he, David, spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride, and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Now, Brother Howard this morning uh, mentioned, or if he didn't mention it, literally alluded to it, but a lot of times what we accuse others of is what our own heart is, or where we would be. And see, David was being innocent, and here alive his oldest brother is rebuking him, trying to put that little kid down, that little ready kid. Notice David's response in verse 9. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And then look at this, verse 30, And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. So notice how David responded in this matter. It wasn't a matter of trying to put himself into the middle of a situation and to be the big shot and to try to get in there to do the big thing. He was being legitimate, and he didn't allow himself to be drawn into a divisive argument with his older brother. That he stood there, and he listened, and he responded. And we're going to see here now how he responded. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself. So here David was faithful. He wasn't interjecting himself into situations. He was the faithful servant of his father, going to do what needed to be done, what his father asked him to do, which was really a very menial, humble thing that he was doing. And when his brother tried to belittle him in front of everybody else, I doubt Eliab was quiet and said, Hey, come over here. I want to talk to you a minute. I imagine his brother was pretty loud and pretty bold trying to put little David back in his place where he needed to be. I am the oldest brother. I am the one that's going to be the hero of the family if anybody's going to be a hero. And tried to put him down. And notice here now back in Psalm 131, verse 2. He said, Surely I have behaved and quieted myself. That matter of behave literally means to equalize or to level. It literally means, uh, figuratively speaking, is to resemble that he, instead of allowing himself to blow up and to explode, allowing himself to get caught into an argument with his older brother, which is what the flesh would do, that he behaved himself. And I quieted myself. He controlled his tongue, didn't he? He didn't allow himself. How often do we allow ourselves, even if we, you know that you're right, but even in knowing you're right, because you know you're right, that's all the more reason that you dig in and you're ready to get into the verbal debate. And the verbal, I have to prove myself, don't I? Proverbs 17 says, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, We saw that in the elections, for sure, when somebody was hidden in the basement for the whole campaign period. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. That's a testimony of what David did here. He said he quieted himself. If you still have your finger back there in 2 Samuel 17, I want you to look down at verse 37. 
when Saul called for David and David went before Saul and David gave explanation of how he had killed the lion and the bear when he was taking his father's sheep as he was talking about uh, taking this uncircumcised Philistine. Notice in verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. David behaved himself and he quieted himself. And when he gave a response, notice what the response was because here we see the testimony of his heart. He wasn't out there because he had the skill and the ability to take down Goliath. He was out there because he trusted in God and he knew that God would protect his name, that God would protect his own, God's own honor. And that David was a vessel. He wasn't being caught up in the fear that the rest of the men were being caught up in. Because he had behaved himself, because he had quieted himself, he was a vessel that could be used of God. So the matter of humility is the very first aspect in this establishing the foundation of a heart for God. And then the next aspect that we see in that matter after humility and humility is the essential that must be established first, is the matter of trust. As we look here in the rest of verse 2, as a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even weaned as a child. There's a couple of new uh, family members in the church here for the first time in a few years. You may have forgotten what it's like during the weaning process. Usually it's not the happiest time at home for a child. A child usually doesn't want to be weaned from their mom when it's time to be weaned. It's something that mom has to do in weaning the child. And it takes discipline for mom to do it. Uh, it's, sometimes they say, well, it's just easier to give in. But it's a natural part and it's a, it's a necessary step that takes place. Uh, but it's something that's not comfortable. It requires a lot of work. It's not on the work of the baby. And as David said here, that even as a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even weaned, even as a weaned child. David recognized that God had done the work and working in his heart to wean him. And we're going to look at that matter, spiritually speaking, what it means uh, to be weaned. Uh, but to be weaned, there's a matter of trust that is involved in this. Even though the child may cry, well, carry on, everything else, there's a matter of trust. He trusts his mother in what's taking place and what's going on for that to even be a successful process. But once a child is weaned, the child still hungers. The child still, he gets hungrier, actually. And that's when the grocery bills start going even higher. Uh, he hungers but it's no more for that that he used to delight in. It's something that's far better, far better things that he's hungering for. And as we see the spiritual application that takes place here, God weans his children from the world. If you would flip over to Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Spiritually speaking, God weans his children from the world. Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 18. 
Paul wrote, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. And here Paul was talking about those that are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And notice one of the things he said, whose God is their belly. They've not been weaned from the things of the world. But that's where their desires, David said that uh, he had set his affections on things above. Paul said those that are enemies of the cross still have an appetite and a desire for the things of the world. So when David said that uh, as a mother weans her child, my soul is even as a weaned child, that God had worked to wean him from the things of the world. When we're weaned from the things of the world, it means that our thoughts also are going to change. Our desires are going to change. And as we're weaned from the things of the world, it brings us to a desire for better things. And we have better things that are put before us. Our Lord spoke recorded in John chapter 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When we're weaned from the things of the world, then we can have the peace of God that Paul wrote about, the peace that passes all understanding. And then as our Lord was speaking that recorded for us, He said, He leaves the peace. But here again we come to some commands that He gave to us. He said, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God gives the peace. The command to you and to me is to let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So in that waning process from the things of the world, it's accepting the peace of God. And when we're living with the peace of God, then we're not to allow our hearts to become troubled or to be afraid. In John 16, he said, uh, that your joy may be full. So God has given us, as he weans us from the world, he gives us peace. As he weans us from the world, he gives us joy. Joy that the world cannot understand. Not a giddiness. A joy that comes from the heart that carries us through uh, all of times. In Romans 15, verse 13, Paul wrote, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So when we have become weaned from the world, Paul said, The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And that in believing literally means through, that's the channel. We have joy and we have peace through believing the Word of God, not the head believing, but the exercise of bringing it to our hearts and manifesting in our hearts. Paul wrote to Titus, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we're weaned from the world, David said that my soul is even as a weaned child, that matter of trust. Have you been weaned from the world that you're able to have those, the better food, the better things that God has offered uh, and given to us? How does God wean us from the world? We've talked about from the human perspective. 
uh, you're in the country, you know what it's like when a calf is taken away from its mom. If you sleep with the windows open at night, uh, you know it can be a very loud, noisy time. Uh, but how does God wean us from the world? First of all, it's by embittering the world to us. In First John chapter 2, John wrote, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If we have the love of the world, we've not been weaned from the world to the things of God, have we? It's when the things of the world become embittered to us. Hopefully everybody that's in here can think back on certain things in your life that you can say, by God's grace, I have been freed from that. It used to have an attraction to me, but now it's a very bitter thing to me. I don't want it anymore. But, you know, there are other things that we still need to be weaned from, from the things of the world, to be able to let go. And really, as we see, and I'm not, I don't want anything that I'm saying to be a political message, but the truth, we live in a political world. And if we're grounded in God's word, we're not going to be tossed to and fro with all these things that are going on. So when I use these things from politics as an example, it's not because I'm trying to make a political statement. It's that we need to be grounded. We need to be standing strong as these things over here are going on. That it can't rob us of our joy, of our peace, of our being a light for God in this darkened world. So we need to be seeking to set those things aside continually in our lives. At other times, the Lord removes us from something that we love. There's something that we may love dearly, and God removes it from us, removes us from that thing. And, you know, it's a hard time when we go through it. We went forward in our church the Sunday after Thanksgiving in uh, 1999 to give testimony that the Lord had called us to the mission field, that I was going to be resigning from Duke Energy, and we were going on deputation and making preparations for going. Monday morning, Jennifer was substitute teaching just for the morning for one of the high school teachers that had to play the organ for a funeral. I was in Hall River at the office working on some stuff, and that was back in the day of digital pagers, uh, you know, the strange things that probably nobody knows anymore. And I received a, um, a page that was just seven digits. And I had four area codes within Duke that I had responsibilities in. And I'd always said if somebody couldn't give me all ten digits, I'd only call my home area code. So I called that number and got a message of this, uh, the customer is not available. And I tried it several more times, and this customer was not available. And then all of a sudden I got this idea. This was really early cell phone days. And I'd given Jennifer a cell phone for emergency use only. I didn't know what the number was. I didn't, she didn't keep it on for me to call her as if she had an emergency. And I got this feeling, I wonder if it's Jennifer. So I called the house because she should have been home, and I got a busy signal. Called again, got a busy signal. And I went in, told my secretary I was afraid something was wrong. I was going home. And by the time I got in to shut my laptop, I had a text page from my secretary in Greensboro stating that our pastor was our neighbor. We lived out in the country. And our pastor was our neighbor. Uh, that your pastor called. He's with Jennifer. She's okay, but you need to get home. Uh, so I had one of the cell phones that mounts in the vehicle. And I called on the way home and found out that Jennifer had gotten home and the house had been uh, broken into, ransacked, and burglarized. 
And all the way home, all I could do was pray and thank you, Father, for your protection, that we're not to lay for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. And got to the house, and uh, as we talked with the sheriff's officer, the teacher was late getting back to school, uh, so Jennifer was late getting home. But had the teacher been on time, they said Jennifer would have been home or would have walked in on the burglars while they were in there, and she could have been hurt. God spared her. Uh, we had just bought our first colored television, uh, and it was because we had friends that were missionaries in Papua New Guinea that were sending VCR tapes, and they were having to come over to my office so we could go to the training room to watch them. And they stole the TV. And other than that, the other things were not of great monetary value, but they were of great personal value because they were family heritage things that had been given to us, passed down uh, through generations. And, I mean, there wasn't, the furniture was all knocked over, the dresser drawers were all in. It was totally ransacked. As we were talking about it that evening with the kids, said so we need to thank God for his protection and that he allowed this to happen. That he has, by his grace, allowed us to see his hand of protection in a marvelous way. I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to realize times that God protected that we had no clue of while we were on this earth. But how God had so graciously allowed us in a very marvelous way to see his hand of protection that mama wasn't home and didn't walk in on them. And that night we all slept in our bedroom because Heidi was afraid to sleep in her room by herself. And basically, she's not sleeping on that in the house. I'm not sleeping down there either. So we all slept in our bedroom that night. But the struggle for me, anyway, for several weeks after that was the fob that my grandmother gave to me that my great-grandfather brought over from Germany. And I can still see her giving it to me and saying, you're the only grandchild that will take care of this. The pocket watch that was my other great-grandfather's on the other side of the family. Jennifer had family things that had been given to her from aunts and different things like that, and feeling like a failure that we hadn't protected them and the emotional aspect to it. But what God used through all of that was really this matter of, at other times, the Lord removes things from us, things that we love. He removes them from us because we don't need them, and even though we may not realize it, they've created a bondage to us. And it's keeping us from realizing that we're to be laying in treasures above that our focus is to be in heaven. And then what he does wean us most from the earth, he does so by giving us far better food. Uh, there's a hymn that I promise you I will not sing. I'm only going to give you the title of it for you to think on. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That matter of being weaned from the things of this earth David was able to say, my soul is even as a weaned child. Can you say that in your life? Has your soul been weaned from the things of this earth? Are you allowing your soul to be weaned from things that still... They may not be bad, they may not be wrong, but they've gotten a little niche in your life that's just out of place from being able to, for you to be able to totally have the joy that God would want you to have. So that matter of growing then afterward. And then the last point I want us to look at tonight regarding that foundation of a heart for God is the matter of strength that we see here in verse 3. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Out of the whole 
psalm, these three verses, the only command that's in this passage is that word hope. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. So do you know what that means? This is the passage. Okay, this is the command. The humility, establishing the trust. Now the command is to establish your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that matter of hope is what we're familiar with when we think of it in Scripture. It's literally to wait patiently, to be patient and to wait uh, for knowing without any question whatsoever that it's as good as already done. It's finished in the eyes of God and in our lives. It is finished. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. He was talking about the nation of Israel. So from henceforth and forever, that means generation to generation to generation to generation. Here we are, 2020, approaching 2021 if the rapture doesn't come in just a few short weeks. And that same truth that command is given to us today. And how is it in your life? It's God doing that working, and are you humbling your heart before God? Has that trust been established, and are you growing in that trust and the faith with the Lord Jesus Christ? And if so, then the command is given to wait patiently, that hope that is to has given to us. And as we look at this in establishing the foundation of a heart for God and to bring it back to where we are today for another application, we know that the election in our country has not been yet determined. And there are things that you should be, not overwhelming, but you need to be praying about and thinking about in your own heart and life. And it's not to be going out and be stocking up on this and this and this and this. It's going back to the heart issue in your life. What happens if Joe Biden is announced as the next president of the United States? Did your world just crumble completely apart? Did you just lose all joy? Did you just become hopeless in your life? If so, you need to go back and work through these principles prayerfully in your heart and your life. Notice what David said, let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. But then the other side of it, what happens if President Donald Trump is named for a second term? Did all of a sudden everything just become great? The birds are singing, the sun is shining, and we're going to live just like we were living a year ago, two years ago? And I'll be honest with you from my own perspective, I hold almost more fear from a spiritual perspective of that end. Because we're going through a time that Christians at least say that we're calling unto God to help us, to show mercy unto us. Why are we asking for that mercy to be shown into our lives? Is it to live with the love of the world? Or is it to live in a way that we're serving God in a way that's going to honor Him? And it's something that we as Christians need to be praying about during this time. We need to be working to make sure that The foundation is established. You need to have that foundation established and protected in your life right now. Prepared that regardless, the wise man built his house upon the rock, regardless the storm that comes of going forward. But my fear is that too many of us will be very ready to not be able to say, even as a weaned child, that all of a sudden we're not going to be weaned from things of the world things that we've come to realize have been shortcomings, 
things that have been failures in our lives for the Lord, in our service for the Lord. And if President Trump is renamed, we're going to go back to happy days are here again, skies above are clear again. Instead of faithfully serving God with whatever days He gives to us to be able to serve Him.